Oasis Church Chicago, Pastor J.P. Troyo here. So glad that you're joining us today on our podcast. You're about to hear a message today from our weekend encounter. Uh, I pray that this message uh, encourages you, inspires you, and pushes you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to stay on track with what's going on at the church, we'd love for you to download our app, Oasis Church Chicago, or visit us on our website, www.oasischurchchicago.com. I'm praying for you, we're believing for you, and we trust that God's gonna continue to do great things in your life. God bless you. Now here's the message today. Well, hey, like I said earlier, it's uh, great to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I am Pastor Andrew. Uh, It is an honor to to be bringing the word to you guys today. Uh, Normally, you'd see Pastor JP up here far more frequently than I am, but uh, praise God that he and his wife Rachel are away on vacation. Uh, Much needed, such a blessing. So if you think about them this week, uh, please pray for them that this time for them is just uh, refreshing uh, as they can get away that they wouldn't be distracted, but they can just have a good time together. Uh, celebrating that opportunity. Um, yeah, it is, it is an honor, guys, to be here. Every time I speak, I'm just so thankful, and I say this, and I, and I mean it every time I say it. I'm so thankful for this church, for this body of believers, um, because what I am seeing, beautiful thing. In fact, that is exactly what we have been studying in the book of Acts, this series called A Move. Uh, we've been studying the, the launch, really, the very early events and early things that Christ's people were seeing unfold before their eyes. And it was all empowered by the Holy Spirit. It was all empowered from the day of Pentecost, which is the day that the Holy Spirit came among his people to be with his people. A promise that Jesus Christ himself had given to his church because he knew that we couldn't just do this on our own. He knew that our power within us, or really lack of power, I should say, was not enough to propel his kingdom forward. And so this is what we've been studying And we've been learning and we've been seeing how the apostles, how the disciples, those who followed Christ, who literally walked with Christ when he was on earth, are now operating by the power of his spirit. Since Christ was resurrected from the dead and since he ascended back to the heavenly places, he left his spirit, his guide, his counselor with his people. And we see and we learn, right? There are, there, there's still ups and downs in the early phases. The, the disciples, the apostles, they're really figuring a lot of this out for the very first time. Uh, and, and in the study today, in Acts chapter 15, we come across a bit of a roadblock, uh, a bit of a moment where they've, they've been flying along. The church is growing. It's expanding. Thousands of people are getting saved, and the, the apostles come to a crossroads. Um, but before we jump into the scripture today, I, I do want to uh, just give a, a, like a, do a quick survey. And this is something where I, I, I want 100% participation, all right? You guys in for that? 100% participation. I promise one of these options will apply to you. So as I read these out, uh, I want to see a, a, a show of hands, uh, kind of which bucket uh, or group you guys fall into, okay? And you'll see why this is important for today's message. The first question is this. How many of you grew up in church and have stayed in church pretty much your whole life? Show of hands. Yeah, that's me. Wow. Well, praise God. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big group. That's amazing. Amazing. It doesn't qual- There's three options here. So don't keep raising your hand if you're in a different group. Don't feel bad by any means. You'll see why. How many of you have maybe been in church, like you attended church, uh, but you left church for some some, some period of time? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. And then the last one, how many of you are relatively new to church or, or brand new? Like, let's say you've just started attending church for the very first time within the last year. Raise your hand. All right. Nobody. All right. First two groups. Oh, we had one over here. Awesome. Praise God. Hey, praise God. Welcome to church. 
I really believe there's no better place you could be. I hope you sense that today. I hope you feel that love. All right, here's the reason why I ask that. Because I think the reality is that no matter what group you're in, and kind of the focus of today's message is that I would venture to say, and you don't need to raise your hand for this because it, it can be a little personal, but I would venture to say that at some point in our church journeys, no matter if you were like in church from a baby and you don't know anything different or it's your very first time here, I would venture to say at some point we have all been hurt or offended. Maybe it was something somebody in the church said to you. Maybe it was something that somebody, a standard that somebody was holding you to or expecting of you. Um, and it, maybe it did more damage than good. I imagine that if we each think about that, each think about our experience, that that would apply. And as unfortunate as that is, I think when we all look into our human nature, you can understand why that happens. Uh, and one of the key focuses of today's message I want to talk about is the difference between grace and preference. Because I think what causes either, and then here's the other reality, maybe some of us have been a part of an event or words that were said or some situation that maybe harmed others in the church. But I think what happens and because of that is because of preference. Preference is like this, this theme, this, this term that you're going to hear me say a lot today. And what preference is, is my way, not your way. It's my way, not God's way. It's I'm used to this. I like it this way. Uh, it's the way I think it should be. Um, we have a lot of preferences in life and, and it really is because of our human nature. I see this with my kids all the time. Um, our youngest is now 16, 17 months old. Hello, keep me in check on that. So I forget. Time flies by. She's growing too fast. Um, she just does like the craziest things. <laughs> and it's like, it's like she's so like bent on getting her exact way about very tiny things. And this is why I know, this is why I know what preference is. Because it's literally most of the time, a lot of the time, it's about stuff that just like absolutely doesn't matter. And we do this as human beings. We do this from a very early age. And the reason why I can validate that is because I'm seeing it in a baby, right? I'm seeing it in a toddler who already is showing signs of her way, not our way. And most of the time, she doesn't even know what's the best way. Like she doesn't know what we believe as parents for her, or what's best for her. She just continues to go through the same habits, the same preferences, the same things that she thinks are right and that we're doing wrong. It's just our, it's just our innate nature as human beings. And it reflects in church. And that's a problem. And that's what is being addressed here in the scripture today. So I've got a lot of scripture here, so I'm gonna just jump right into it. Um, it's found in Acts 15, one through 33. I may not end up reading the whole end part of it, but uh, we'll start right away in Acts 15. Put that first verse up there. I wanna see how it looks on this screen. Yeah, this screen's been funny today. Excuse this screen. Maybe you can look at the side ones. Here we go, let's dive in. Uh, Acts 15, starting in verse one, as I get there. This is called the Jerusalem Council. Who have heard, how many of you have heard the phrase Jerusalem Council? Not a lot. That's what I expected. All right, funny thing about this. As I was preparing for this message, I told a few people like this past week what I was talking about, and they're like, wow, I've never heard anybody preach on that. So show me some grace here. <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. I don't know if I'm the first one to ever preach on this, but eh, maybe that's kind of cool. If not, I think there's still some core truth we can get out of it. All right, Jerusalem Council. We're about halfway through the book of Acts. It's crazy but I hope you guys have been loving this series. Have you guys been loving this series? Good, good. I pray it continues to speak to all of us. Here we go. But some men came down from Judea 
and we're teaching the brothers, the brothers being like Christians, right? People being saved, following after Jesus. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Those are some bold words, <laughs> like a qualification. Unless you do this, you cannot be saved. Be careful what you say. It says right after this, Paul and Barnabas had, I love this phrasing, no small dissension and debate with them. In another translation, uh, it, it literally says, Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce protest. Like they were, they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop now. Whatever you just said, not, uh-uh, not having it. Because what the leaders in the church were trying to do was put more rules on top of, on top of what Christ Jesus had already done for his people. We continue. It says, so they, so they, so they sent, uh, so they were appointed, Paul, Barnabas, and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to meet with all of the apostles and the elders. Jerusalem was kind of like the central place where the church was, was leading, was being led from. It was kind of the central hub for the expansion of the church. They go up to Jerusalem. Verse four says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Once again, really harsh words. It is necessary. We should order them. I don't think this is what Christ wants for us in the church, but I continue. They're, they're going through this. Like this is, a, this is like a, a showdown of sorts within church leadership. It says then the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. This is key. And he made no distinction between us and them, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews who had the laws of God for thousands of years before and the Gentiles who didn't have the laws of God, but who were now being saved in an instant because of their faith. There was no distinction between them in the eyes of God. Now, therefore, so this is his response. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. He's talking about the law there, this yoke, the law, the burden to carry. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. He's declaring truth. The only thing that saves is the grace of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> it says immediately the assembly fell silent because that's not Peter's words. That's not like what's coming from him. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through him. You better believe when the Holy Spirit speaks, we are in a position of correction. I think sometimes that's hard to hear. And we are in a position then of obedience. It says the whole place fell silent as they listened to Peter. They continue in verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied. So James, another apostle, he speaks up. He says, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, also Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So not only then is, is Peter proclaiming this, but then James says, hey, 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 wait a second. This isn't the first time this has been said. This has been prophesied before, so now it's validated. This is very important in the church. This is very important for us as believers to understand why the word of God is true. is because it's validated. 
It was prophesied before, and the apostles are now speaking it again, and you know it's the Holy Spirit speaking in a moment like this with authority because of this. And so James responds. He says this. These are the words uh, from the prophets. After this, I will return, speaking of God, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. The remnant of mankind. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from that which has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. I'm not gonna read down to verse 33 for the sake of time today, but what happens then after this is the disciples agree. They're like, okay, God has spoken. We can't deny it. We realize that what we had said before about requiring others to follow additional laws, requiring to do the ceremonial things that people did for many thousands of years before, they're not required for faith. We agree. And so they got together, they wrote a letter that they could then send out to all the churches to move forward. This is what the Council of Jerusalem was all about, the Jerusalem Council. And they sent this letter out and they sent it back out with the apostles. They sent them out and the gospel journey continues. Today, what I wanna talk about and the the message of today's, uh, or sorry, the title of today's message is Better Together. Because I believe now more than ever, just as we read here in the scriptures, the apostles knew how important it was to be unified as one body. The minute that there started to be a dissension, the minute that there started to be a rift in the preferences of the leaders in the church and of the church people based on their backgrounds, based on their own personal beliefs, the minute there started to be a rift, it caused a lot of issues. And you can only imagine, the reason I did that survey at the beginning, as we think about what our journey is, some of us, like I said, have probably been in church forever. We probably would from the outside, look more like the religious people, whether we want to say that or not, because we've heard it all, we kind of know it all, we've been through the system, we probably come from different denominations which believe different doctrinal things, right? Denominations, the, the unfortunate thing about denominations and the reason why there's separation in the church is because of preference, if we're all honest. Um, and I, I wish and I pray and I hope and I, I do believe that someday, I know for sure in eternity, we're all gonna be united once and for all. There will be no dissension, there will be no more preference, amen? <laughs> And we know that future, but I think even now that we, each of us individually have a part in being a unified church, a church that can stand together on the core of what the gospel tells us and on the core of what Jesus decided for his people, better together. I believe that we can be better together. Amen. Do you guys believe that too in this place? Good. Amen. So my first point is this. We're just going to jump right in. First point is this. I'm gonna spend most of the time on this point because this is like the foundation for for what I wanna share with you guys today. Grace precedes preference. Grace precedes preference. If we believe that Jesus saves by grace alone, that we have no part in creating any additional barriers to knowing him fully. That's what the disciples were trying to do. They had experienced life with Jesus. Literally, he walked before them. They had experienced his life, death, and resurrection. They saw him ascend into heaven, and then even then, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. There was nothing else that they needed. There was no other further expectation. There was no other event for which they had to wait for to know the gospel, 
to know the life that Jesus desired for his church and for his people. And yet we find them midway through the book of Acts saying all of a sudden, and not really anything new, something that they had done before and something that God had given him with ceremonial law, that all these new believers had to be circumcised. Or more broadly, all these new believers had to follow the ceremonial laws that were given to his people in the Old Testament. Before I proceed, I just want to clarify there the difference between what are normative or moral laws for God's people and what are ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws were, were for a certain time and period. The ceremonial laws were to set apart God's people in the Old Testament from the other cultures around them. There were many things that cultures around them were doing, whether it was religious practice, whether it was sacrifices, whether it was uh, like personal cleanliness things, the way people presented themselves. You could tell who somebody was very quickly by the way they looked, the way they acted, the way they kind of held themselves together. Like cultures at that time were very different and isolated, border by border, state by state, nation by nation, etc. So the ceremonial laws God gave to his people to separate them, to make them holy, to make them pure and set apart. But the moral laws are laws that exist for eternity. The moral law is, what, is the way that God has created us to be in our, in our spirits as people, as his creation, to follow after him, to follow his principles in his ways. So what we're setting aside here, what was causing dissension in the church at this time was the ceremonial law. Like I said, the disciples agreed largely on what the moral law was and on who they were called to be as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, on the sinful nature that they were called to set aside. I'm not here to debate that this morning. That's something where the church, like you, that is something where if you walk in the doors of the church and you hear what we speak about and you hear what we have to share, it's an absolute. We believe that we are all sinners by nature and we believe that Jesus died to save us from the punishment that we deserve. And it's his justification that comes from Jesus alone that we can do that. If we start there, if we believe that grace precedes preference, then that actually is all we need. We don't need any additional rules. We don't have to be the followers of the ceremonial laws or even today, we don't, the ceremonial laws don't really apply to us, but name something else, right? Anything else that's like a righteous thing that you should do that's gonna qualify you for faith or to grow in your faith? No, it's not required. It's encouraged. The fruits of the spirit are good and they are distinct from the fruits of the enemy or from the fruits of the world. And we are called to live those out and the spirit enables those things in us. But hear me on this, they are not required for salvation. That's the key distinction here. When Jesus was on earth, the reason why we know this is true, and like I said, it's so important to read the Bible all the way through to understand the story of God because when Jesus was on earth, he showed us this firsthand. When Jesus came to earth right away, he was a Jew, okay? So like what I said before, he should have looked like and acted like and kind of portrayed himself in the way that all the other Jews had portrayed themselves for hundreds or even thousands of years before. And yet he looked very different in many ways. One of the major ways that Jesus looked so different was how he approached the unclean. There was literally groups of people at the time called the unclean by the Jews. And it was because of ceremonial laws that they described people in this way. This could have been people who were sick, could have been people with disease, could have been people who were caught in certain sins, uh, like prostitution. Um, it could have been people who were abusing substances, right? Like you, got, you guys can kind of understand who this group of people were. And, and because of the ceremonial law, the Jews would literally distance themselves from them. This is what we read about in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan, right? How many of you know the story of the Good Samaritan? 
a man is beaten on the side of the road. He is attacked by robbers and he's left basically to die. He was bloody. He was dirty. He was visibly, you know, messed up from this situation. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, we read that two people walk by. The first two people that walked by were basically the social elites. They were like the religious people of the time. And neither of them would approach this man because of the ceremonial laws for which they believed in. They didn't think that they could stop and touch that guy or help him out. They figured somebody more, somebody more lowly or somebody, you know, literally, it was like a positional thing. And they literally would not stop and help this man. But the story of the Good Samaritan, I love it. Talk about a story about preference. Do you guys know the difference between Jews and Samaritans? Raise your hand if you do. All right, good. The rest of you, here's a great opportunity to learn something. Jews and Samaritans both believed in God, but had very different moral and social practices. They were literally like on the complete opposite spectrum of people who followed God. And so for the Jews to hear that a Samaritan, literally the person who had like the, the farthest complete opposite preferences that you could possibly imagine in the world of religion, the Samaritan was the one who stopped and helped this guy on the side of the road. He set aside all preference to help somebody else. And how much more do we know this morning that Jesus, <laughs> who is even farther opposite than anything that we have in us from our sinful nature. Jesus, who is perfect, who is God, came and made himself like us. He didn't just come completely as God and he, and he stood over here and said, I, you know, here I am, God, and I'm here to help you. No, he became one of us. He took on the flesh. He literally set aside any possible preference he could ever have to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, showing us the ultimate example of what it meant to show his grace and not his preference. Grace precedes preference. He came purely out of grace, purely out of his love for us so that he could die and so that he could take every bad thing, every dirty thing, every disgusting thing for which any of the other religious people at the time would have pushed aside. They would have never even touched. And the leaders, I can only imagine them just seeing Jesus. This is why it was so hard for the Jewish people at the time to even receive and accept who Jesus was because it literally was incomprehensible to them. They could not get past the burden of the law. But we can't all sit here today and say that we're just excused from that because I know I struggle still with the law. I know I still struggle with doing right and wrong and getting caught up in the motions and getting caught up into what I need to do to attain something, to live to something, to reach some higher standard, whether it's some, something that someone else in my life has held me to or whether it's just the voices in my head telling me that I have to do X, Y, Z to get somewhere in life. But that's not why Jesus came. He came to fulfill all of those things. See, he fulfilled the ceremonial law and that's the point that's being preached about in this message, in the Jerusalem council. Jesus never needed to step down from his throne. But he knew what he must do to save us. He could have stayed there. It's God. God can do anything he wants. But he knew what he must do. And I love like a, a passage that has just been really, uh, that Jesus has been speaking a lot to me lately is, is near the end of his journey on earth. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think we see the ultimate reality of really what Jesus was going through and the fact that 
he was actually human and actually could understand what we were, what we were feeling. It says right before he knew that he was going to the cross, he pleaded with God. <laughs> he literally cried out to God. And he said, hey, I don't wanna do this. Like Jesus himself. It's really hard to actually comprehend and understand, but talk about setting aside his preference. Jesus literally cries out to God and he says, if you can take this from me, like if I don't have to go through this, that's what I want. But he doesn't just say that. He finishes with, yet not my will, but yours be done. He literally sets aside his preference. The preference of, talk about a preference that's completely valid, <laughs> not wanting to take on the entire sin of the world. He sets it aside and he goes forward and he dies on the cross and he rises again and he saves us for all of eternity because of grace, not preference. I hope that speaks to you guys this morning just as much as it's been speaking to me. And I know this isn't like necessarily the easiest thing to hear, right? Because the response and the, really the next two points, which I'm gonna go by fairly quickly because I, I really, the main part of today's message is that if we, if we are to be better together, we have to be a people who are full of the same grace that Jesus first showed us. We have to see each other. And it starts here in the church. This is, this is, it's a message for the world, but really this message, what happened in the Jerusalem Council is a message for the church. It's for us here in this room today. It is that we must see each other with the same grace, first and foremost, that Jesus saw us with and be willing to set aside our preferences because our preferences at the end of the day just don't matter. It's okay to have, it's not like wrong to have preferences. We are all, we're a very diverse group of people. I know I like things that you guys don't like. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's that we must be a people full of grace, the same grace that Jesus Christ first showed us if we are to be unified, if we are to be better together as a church. Amen. Do you guys believe that this morning? Amen. All right, second point is this. Jesus is our salvation, not our way to salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus literally says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. He doesn't say, let me show you the way. Here it is, and it's something over here, and it's, let me show you the way. You gotta, you gotta go through my 10-step program to be saved in the eyes of God. No, 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 no. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our salvation, not our way to salvation. So let's stop mixing that up. You don't need to follow this law and that law and everything else that was being described here. And that's why the disciples stand up kind of in this outrage. Like Paul's like, yo, 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 stop, stop, stop. No, 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 no. We're not going down that road. That road leads nowhere. That road leads to self-righteousness. Oh, hello. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. There is nothing else that's gonna lead you to a better standing with God except Jesus. When God sees you and he sees Jesus who has taken your place, who has died for you and who has saved you, yo, that's the only place you wanna be. <laughs> Trust me. And that's the best place you can possibly be from a savior who loves us through grace. It is by grace we've been saved through faith. Not from ourselves, but it's a gift of God so that none of us can boast. It's nothing about us. It's nothing we could ever do to deserve or to receive the gift of grace that Jesus has given us. He is the way, plain and simple. That was point number two, how about that? That was quick. 
<laughs> All right, last point is this. This is the application, I think, for us today. And this is really where I just want us to pray and, and reflect as we think about the importance of the grace that Jesus showed us, as we think about the importance and the necessity for us to set aside our preference, my third point is this. Don't put a burden on others that Jesus didn't put on you. Don't put a burden on others that Jesus didn't put on you. If that doesn't preach, I don't know what will. Why are we doing it? Why are we still doing it? Why are the disciples still doing it? Peter literally says, why do you put a yoke on the back of the Gentiles that they cannot bear? The reality was the reason why they struggled with this and the reason why they continued to seek and seek and seek and strive and strive and strive to maintain the ceremonial laws is because they could never do it perfectly. Like they would never get to a point where they could do it. But God was intentional with that. You know why? God gave them a series of laws that he knew they couldn't keep so that they would know their need for a savior. That's why. We can't miss that this morning. We can't miss that and continue to try to put a burden on anybody else around us, whether in the church or out, that we ourselves cannot even bear because Christ doesn't expect it of us and he doesn't expect it of anybody else. He died so that we could be free from it. He died so that we could have a new life led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what a move is all about. It's not a move of our own strength. It's not a move of anything that I can come up with or anything I can say or any, anything we can do up here. It's a move of the Spirit of God. We are his instruments. We are his vessels. An instrument in a vessel is something that is used to, go, to live in and through so that God works in and through us, that his Spirit flows through us to carry forth the plans that he has for his kingdom. When we read about this passage and we see then what happens, how they kind of wrapped it up, right? I know I, I, know I kind of briefly went through that, but it all kind of culminates together. There was like this, this, this like hyped up situation where the apostles, the church had to come together and we don't really read about it specifically here, but I imagine that there was a moment of healing. I think if we think about when we raised our hands at the beginning and we think about maybe ways that we've either been hurt by the church or maybe somebody we've hurt in the church, I'm sure that applies. I'm sure both of those apply to us today. I imagine there was a situation of healing that had to happen with the apostles. A situation of healing where those who were saying all of these additional rules and requirements that were, they were trying to put on the backs of new believers, they had to go back and they had to say, yo, I'm sorry. That's not what it's about. I apologize for the rules that I tried to put on you. The extra standard that I tried to hold you to that I know even I can't hold up, that I know even I can't do. And this healing, I think, I pray takes place in the church because if it doesn't, I don't see a way that we can be unified. I don't see a way that we can get to unity. I don't see a way that we can be the church better together that Jesus has called us to be. So my prayer is simple this morning. I pray first that we can be a people who are open to healing. I'm sorry if you're in the room today and you've been hurt by the church. I hate that that happens. 
but I can't stand up here and say all of us in this room needed more of the grace of Jesus to get us through each day and to, and to, and to shape and, and determine the way that we speak, the way that we love, the way that we reach out and touch those around us. It has to be through the grace of Jesus and his grace alone. So I pray this morning that we start there. Maybe it's a conversation you have, to, you have to have with somebody. I know that's hard. Pray about it first. Pray that God softens your heart. I pray that all of our hearts are softened today to know of how we should be in community with each other. And then the second thing I'm praying today, because what the reality of what happened here and what's, what's, what's beautiful, what I'm believing for our church, what I'm believing for the global church of Jesus Christ today, is they sent out this letter, right? They met together. They said, yo, this is not right. Here's what's right. And we agree. They were silenced before the Spirit of God saying, we agree. The Holy Spirit has spoken. They say that in the letter. They're very careful to say, this is not the words of man anymore. What was before, what we were putting on your backs, that was the words of man. We own that as a church. We, own, we have to own up when it's our words and not God's. But then they speak on the authority of the Holy Spirit. And when they send this letter out, they say, hey, be united. But they include something in there. And it's about preference. They remind us that, hey, yo, what I'm, what I'm not trying, well, this is me, Andrew, saying, what I'm not trying to say to us today is that we all have to have the same preferences. <laughs> it's okay to have different preferences, different lifestyles, different, you know, we're all different. We believe different things. But we should stand on the foundation of grace. We should stand on the foundation of what Jesus has for us. In this letter, they say, hey, there's a couple things, though, that we're suggesting you're going to be better off if you do these things. And they were talking about situations. These were cultural things at the time, but things like food sacrifice to idols, blood, sexual immorality. Each of them, I don't have time to get into it today, but each of those had very specific application to things that were happening in the cultures that they were aware of in the churches in that part of the world at the time. Because the reality was, if we have been given strength by Jesus, if we have been given strength by the Holy Spirit, that we have been given a responsibility in the day-to-day, -day, within the church, and, within, and even outside of our own walls, to set aside our preference sometimes. Because what's more important than, than about you and me, like when I was talking about my 16-month-old, she just thinks me, me, me all the time. That's not, what, that's not how Christ has called us to live. It's not about me, me, me. It's not about you, you, you. It's about everybody else around you. And this morning, I want to encourage you to say that Jesus and his spirit has a desire to use you to do things that you can't even comprehend. He has a desire to use you and to speak to others and to love others in ways that right now you can't even imagine, but I believe he is going to do through your life. But it takes a response. And I can guarantee you, sometimes it's going to be very difficult to respond to what God wants you to do because he's going to tell you to set aside your preferences. That's what the disciples were encouraging the people with. He said, yo, as you go out, remember this, okay? Remember, it's not always gonna be about you. In fact, it really should never be about you. It's about those around you. And if we are to be the people that Christ has called us to be, if we are to be the church, if we are to see this move continue forward, which it did in Acts, and continued all the way up till now, yo, the reason why we are here as a church today is because of situations like this. I am thankful that the apostles met together and corrected it at this time, because here we are, the church today. Yo, no other religion has done anything close to what God has done in the life of the body of believers in his church. 
And he is going to continue to do it as we are spurred on by the truth of the gospel, by the truth of his word, and these principles for which he has called us to live. Amen? You guys believe that this morning? Let's praise Jesus this morning for what he has done for us first and foremost, and what he has called us to do to be his church. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? The band's going to close us out today. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for what you have given us, the gift of salvation. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way. There is no other way. There is no system of law or rules, God, that you require from us because you paid it all. You gave us everything we need, Lord. You are our salvation. We praise you that you've given us your spirit, God, your counselor, so that when we are weak, God, you make us strong. So when we feel like giving in to our preferences or our desires, God, especially as we see those around us, Lord, especially as we are in the world, God, and as we are meeting together as a church, Lord God, I pray that you would give us the strength by the power of your spirit, God, to set aside our preferences, that we would see each other through the eyes of Jesus, that we would see each other, God, with a unified spirit, and that you would unite your church now more than ever before, Lord God so that we can see your kingdom come, so that we can see your will be done, God. And so that we will continue to praise you, God, for what you've done, not what we've done. Give us the power today, God, to be your people, to be your instruments, God, to be obedient to the call that you have placed in each and every heart and mind in the room today. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name.